Well, last week was Vision Sunday and we just declare what we believe we're going to step into and literally that is what our theme is for this coming year, a year to step in. And I'm going to take that thought and just talk about stepping into the Christmas season, the Advent, the expectation where we celebrate what happened thousands of years ago, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to continue in a theme of worship. We've been focusing on praise and worship for a few messages. And if you missed the Vision Sunday, you can just jump on YouTube, look up Life You See and subscribe and you can watch it there or refresh it. But we're going to talk about in the next few weeks as we lead into Christmas Day and our celebrations around the coming of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us. We're going to talk about the way of the worshipper. And I loved what Danielle reminded us about out of our devotions this last week, that it's about perseverance. And I want to talk about going the distance to seek God. The whole issue of perseverance and how that connects to worship. So I invite your attention to Matthew chapter 2, verse 1 to 2. And after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah, Judea, I mean, during the time of King Herod, magi or wise men from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. And we have come, wise men from the east, and we have come to worship him. When it talks about the East, the belief is this is probably Persia, Babylon, modern day Iraq kind of area. And they've traveled a distance of about 1,150 kilometers. Not a short flight, not even in a motor vehicle, but probably on donkeys and traveling 50 or so or less kilometers a day. So they've been traveling, they believe around four months. They've been on a long journey to come to worship the king. They've persevered in their journey. They're not kings as some of the carols infer, we three kings from Orient are. They're wise men and probably more than three, even though they bring three gifts that are significant, they're probably a company of astronomers. And being from Persia, the Babylon region, they were probably also Jews who'd been exiled under the Babylonian invasion captivity where there was a dispersion of the Jewish population around the ancient world. And so they know the promise of the coming Messiah and they have been studying it and they notice something and they now embark on this journey, a long journey that requires perseverance and endurance to find Jesus and worship Him. And I want to encourage you with this thought this morning, that perseverance and endurance, going through the tough times, going through the trials of life, is actually an act of worship. If you keep your eyes fixed on Jesus during that process. We think of worship simply in the raising of the hands or the songs we sing, and that is worship, not in any way wanting to discourage that. But worship is bigger than just a song that we sing. 
Worship is about the life that we live with perseverance, endurance, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says this in Hebrews 12, verse one through two. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and the cloud of witnesses he's referring to are the heroes of faith that have been listed in Hebrews chapter 11, all of whom, while they had a different expression of faith, had perseverance. They went through tough stuff. So they surrounded, we are surrounded by this enormous cloud of witnesses in the grandstand of life, as it were, cheering us on. And he says, let us throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles. And then notice this, and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. And I want you to notice how perseverance is connected to worship. Perseverance as a follower of Jesus is keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, keeping a focus while you deal with the trial, while you deal with the difficulty, while you deal with the challenge, you do it in a posture of worship, your eyes fixed on Jesus. And we all know those moments when we lose sight of God or we feel that God's lost sight of us, how we get more muddled up and it becomes difficult. But if you keep a posture of worship during the season of endurance, if you happen to go the distance with God, you'll find God will do extraordinary things in and through you. Faithful endurance is connected to worship. Our eyes fixed on Jesus. I love something that Paul Tripp said. It is the awesome glory of God's existence, character, plan, presence, promises, and the grace that gives me reason to work hard and not give up. No matter whether we are in a good season or one that is stormy. Again, he's connecting this thing. If you catch a sense of the awesomeness of God's character, presence, plan and purpose for your life, keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus while you persevere, whether in a good season or a difficult season, you are being set up for something extraordinary in terms of breakthrough and in terms of what God will do in your life in that difficult season. The Greek word here for perseverance is not just while I'm going to be patient while I sit down and do nothing. It's actually quite an active word. It it, it is a patience, yes, an endurance, yes, but one that has expectation attached to it. I don't understand what God's doing, but I'm expecting He's doing something in my circumstance, in my life, in the situation that is a trial, that is a point of testing for me. In Hebrews 12 and verse 28, in the context, before I read the specific verse, God says, one more time will I shake that which can be shaken so that that which cannot be shaken will remain. And while that's speaking to a moment in end times, and perhaps we're a little bit closer to that than we were, well, we definitely are than yesterday, but that sense of something's going on now, planet, there are things at times that get shaken in our life. And it's like God shaking out stuff that can be shaken. So what cannot be shaken, 
things that are connected to faith, endurance, your eyes fixed on Jesus, become clearer and more established in your life. And then he says this, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, how should we respond? With worship. Let us be thankful. And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. You see, the whole thing of inheriting aspects of God's kingdom in our lives now is to lay hold of things that cannot be shaken. But the only way for God to do that is to shake us sometimes. You're going to hate this message, but it's going to be good for you. (laughs) That sometimes God just shakes stuff in our lives or allows things to be shaken so that stuff that is just peripheral and unimportant drops off us and we come back to fundamental things. But the key is this posture of worship. If we are to inherit the kingdom that cannot be shaken, we've got to do it with a posture of worship. Being thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. The awe of God. The Old Testament refers to it as the fear of God. And I'm going to touch on that. It's not cowering from God, but it's that God takes my breath away kind of encounter. The awe of God inspires worship. When circumstances squeeze us, Because in that moment, we begin to perceive that actually God has a greater story for us. He has a grander kingdom. He has better plans than we can produce if we simply focus on our kingdom of one. In the moment of shaking, the exhortation, if you're going to persevere, if you're going to go the distance seeking God, is get your eyes fixed on Jesus. Because suddenly you're opened up to the greater things of God rather than just being focused on a kingdom of one trying to master life. The New Testament authors are not strangers to adversity. We kind of think somehow that if we follow Jesus, everything just goes perfectly. That's not what he promised. That's not what he said. And that was not the experience of the New Testament church. They faced severe persecution Extraordinary trials, things that are called tribulations at times. And one of them, James, who's the half-brother of Jesus, tells us or gives us some extraordinary advice on how to live in and through a trial, in those moments of extraordinary tension and to do it with a heart of worship. And James is unique. He is quite blunt and direct. He's not known for fancy words. He kind of gets straight to the point. But he introduces himself, not as the half-brother of Jesus, but as a worshipper who's recognised Jesus as his Lord and Saviour. And to me, that's one of the most extraordinary evidences that Jesus is who he said he is. Because James, when Jesus was on the earth at one time, told the Pharisees, I think my brother's mad. I think he's lost his mind. So what has happened to James to move him to this point where he doesn't even claim to be the half-brother of Jesus? He just claims Jesus as his Lord and risen Saviour. It is that very thing. The resurrection transforms James as a servant, as a follower of Jesus. 
And listen to his words. These are the words that will help you, even if you don't like them. Consider, I'm reading James chapter 1 and verse 2 and following. Consider, the word also means to count, to calculate. Consider it pure joy. My brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. I'm just going to pause there for a moment, let that sink in. Pure joy, considerate, pure joy. I'm preaching to myself here, not just to you. Considerate, pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe, not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Now, I'd encourage you as a little bit of homework to reread that passage through this week. Let some of the things sink into you. But James is telling us how to persevere, how to make the stuff, tough stuff turn into an act of worship, that you go in the long journey, that you keep in your eye fixed on Jesus as you persevere. And he's going to tell us what God works in and through us. And so I'm going to just highlight five key words in this and the thought that is connected to them. The first one is the opening statement. Consider or count it all joy when you face various trials. He's saying you need to approach the pain, the difficulty, the challenge, the trial, the thing that you're hating right now with a different attitude. You need to try, say, God, I need to turn this around in my heart. Nobody's saying this is easy, but he says count it pure joy. It just Pure joy. It's like, yes, another trial. No, I've never done that. And I feel convicted by my own message and my own preparation. I've learned that trials actually do work something in my life as much as I hate them at the time. But James is saying, change your attitude. When you face that difficulty, this will be preached back to me by many people in my life who are here present in the auditorium. (laughs) This is approach it with a joyful attitude. And the word calculate or consider, that actually means to calculate, to reason that God is up to something here. God tells us to expect trials. He doesn't say if you fall into a trial. He says when. I don't think there's a single person, in fact, I know, there's not a single person here, no matter how long or short you've been on the planet, that hasn't faced the trials of life. They happen. We don't want them to happen, but they happen. He doesn't say if, oh, there's a remote possibility. He says when it happens, 
choose an attitude, an attitude of worship, an attitude of expectation. The believer who expects that their walk with God will just be an easy thing is in for a shock. Jesus said very simply in John 16 and verse 33, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will face difficulties. In this world, you will face trials. And he goes on to say, but be at peace because I've overcome the world. If we value comfort more than character, then trials will upset us. If we value material and physical comfort more than spiritual growth, we won't be able to count it all joy. God values persevering faith and it's the kind that honours God. It's the kind of faith that becomes an act of worship. The endurance, the perseverance becomes an act of worship because your eyes fixed on Jesus. Job faced horrendous trials. We're allowed at the beginning of Job to hear a conversation that goes on between the devil and God. And God permits the devil to do certain things. But Job faces the loss of just about everything. Just about everything. And while he complains on occasions, and at times he's falsely accused by his so-called friends, we get the phrase Job's comforters who are really no comfort at all. They try and explain why he's going through this. He must have done something terrible. But Job somehow in the pain, in the loss, yes, and in the complaining, comes to things like this statement. Job 13, 15, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. What a statement. Now, God's not trying to kill him. That's not what Job is saying there. He's saying, I've lost everything. The only thing I've got left is my life. And even if he takes that, I'm still going to trust him. I'm still going to worship. I'm still going to push through. Sometimes we feel lost or that God has lost us, forgotten our address. But even when we cannot see God in our circumstance, he sees us. Job 23 and verse 10. And in the context, Job has said, I've searched for him here, I've searched for him there. I can't find God. That's literally the context of this verse I'm about to quote. Is Job is saying, I'm struggling to find God in my life, in my circumstance. I used to be so centered and I just don't know where to find him. And then he says, but he knows the way that I take. And when he has tested me, I will come forth as pure gold. And Job is getting this revelation that God is refining something in his life through the pain, through the testing. There's character being built. There's a whole lot of thing that God's doing on the inside of Job. And all the New Testament writers pick up on that. I'm not going to quote all the verses, but I will touch on one or two of them as we go through this. And that whole thought that no matter how lost you or I feel in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the pain, even if we feel at times, God, I don't know where you are, I don't know what you're doing, 
we can stand with Job and say, he knows the way that I take. And when he's tested me, I'm going to come out on the other end better off. I'm going to come out as pure gold. And right there is cause for worship. Our trust in the goodness of God in the midst of the trial is actually an act of worship. So he says, consider it. Choose an attitude, a joyful attitude. The second thing is, because you know, oh, that opens so much. He says, because you know, because you know that these trials are working something in you and through you, because you know, engage your understanding. Don't let your emotions override what you understand, what knowledge you have about God and His processes. The word know there carries an idea of fully understanding that goes beyond the evidence of the facts in front of you. And it comes out of a personal experience. I've walked with God and I know something about God. That's what James is trying to communicate to us. So what do you do when it seems like there's nothing you can do? Well, I know that some of the things that creep up in my heart Sometimes you feel jealousy towards others who seem to be doing it easy. Maybe even resentful. Why me, Lord? What have I done to deserve this? We compare ourselves to others. Well, they don't attend church as regularly as I do and they seem to be just cruising through life. Or there are many other thoughts like that that come to mind. We're tempted to run to give up and that's the exact opposite of this incredible act of worship called perseverance, endurance, going the distance like the wise men went the distance to find the king to worship him. God puts us to the test to bring out what is best in us. God allows the trials to bring out the gold in us. The devil tempts us to get us to give up, to walk away, to be resentful towards God. But if we know what God is doing through the trial, we can worshipfully persevere. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and he lists a whole lot of stuff he's been through in that chapter. It's it's extraordinary, the, the, the suffering, the persecution, because he preached the gospel, the stuff he went through. And then he says this, but our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal weight of glory that far outweighs them all. That's perspective. That's something we need to hang on to. That's something we can say, I actually know it. I hate that it happens that way, but I know it. And notice, you know, Paul's talking about being whipped on a number of occasions, of being chased out of cities, of being stoned and tempted to execute him, of all sorts of things in that chapter, of being rejected, of being ridiculed. He just lists a whole lot of stuff. And he calls them light and momentary troubles. I don't know about you, but in the middle of that, I don't think any of that's particularly light. Unless you have an eye on eternity. Unless you understand 
that in this pain, in this difficulty, in this disappointment, an eternal weight of glory is being outworked in your life if you keep your eye fixed on Jesus as you persevere, as you persevere. Because what James and the other writers, Peter goes into this extensively, as does Paul in different passages. But what they're trying to explain to us, trials work for us, not against us. God is doing something for you in the midst of the trial. He may not even have caused it. There's a whole discussion we can have there. But people in life go through trials. The difference is we can keep our eye fixed on Jesus. We can come with a posture of worship as we endure. And so in Romans 8 verse 28, Paul says, again, using this concept, we know something. James says, we know God is producing something in me through the trial. And Paul says, we know, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. The third word is let, is let. Let perseverance finish its work in you so that you may be mature and complete and lack nothing. Let is an act of surrender. It's stop fighting God and allow God. It's God, I surrender myself to you in the midst of the trial. I surrender my will. I'm not going to run away. I'm not going to walk away. I'm not going to quit. I don't want to miss you, God, in the midst of this. Let perseverance finish its work. Let perseverance finish its work. Let perseverance finish its work. Don't give up halfway. Don't give up just moments from the point of victory, the point of overcoming. In the place of trial, there's this tension, there's this discomfort, there's this angst. But the trial is God's gymnasium for faith, somebody said. It's in the trial that you begin to exercise your muscles of faith. I know the character of God. I know the promises of God. I know the plan of God. I know the purposes of God. And I'm not going to give up. And James says... Let perseverance finish its work. God cannot build our character without our cooperation. And when we submit to him and let him do what he wants in our lives, he begins to do something that leaves you mature and complete and perfected. It doesn't mean you're perfect, perfect, but it means healthy, wholeness, completeness comes to your life. In Romans 5 verse 3, Paul talks about this kind of process. And notice the connection. I've highlighted the meaning of some of the Greek words there just to help us get this to worship. He's again talking about difficulty and pain. And he says, not only so, but we also glory. The word glory there is to sing, to exalt God in that moment. We exalt God in our sufferings. And the word suffering there means to crush, to press or to squeeze. And that's what a trial is. You feel like you're being pressed, you're being squeezed. You're being restricted. 
And he says, we sing, we exalt, we worship when we've been squeezed. Because, again, he has this thought, we know something. We know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And then he goes on to say, that hope never disappoints. The fourth thing is we need to ask. We often use this verse, if anybody lacks wisdom, let them ask God. But I want you, and that's fine. You can ask God for wisdom in any circumstance. But I want you to know it's actually connected to walking through the trial. He says, when you're in the middle of the trial, you need to ask God for wisdom who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. I just love everything about that verse. You can ask God who responds to you generously. The thing that I like the most is without finding fault. Even if you got yourself into the mess, even if you are the author of the trial, the bad choices, maybe even you thought you were making a good choice, but it turned out to be, but you got yourself into it. God will never say to you, told you so. Told you so, I warned you. I just love that about God. He says, okay, there's a whole lot I could say about this, but I'm not. There's a bit of marriage counselling going on here as well. In times of trial, if we're honest, we don't want wisdom. We want to escape. He says, no, you're not going to escape this. So ask for wisdom. And wisdom, in the simplest sense of this, is beginning to see our circumstances the way God sees them. To begin to get a godly perspective about what's going on. Sarah Hauser said this, instead of looking at God through the lens of our circumstances, we need to look at our circumstances through the lens of who God is. Instead of looking at God through the lens of our circumstances, we need to look at our circumstance through the lens of who God is. Proverbs 9 and verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The word fear there means to come with awe, to come with respect, to come with a sense of wonder, to come with worship. It's not fear as in cowering or hiding. It's God, you take my breath away. And no matter what's going on, I worship In Deuteronomy 6 and verse 13, Moses said, fear the Lord your God and serve him. And Jesus, when he faces the devil in the wilderness in his trial, the 40 days of testing, the 40 days of fasting, the 40 days where he's confronted by the enemy, tempted, he quotes Deuteronomy 6, but he changes one word. He says to the devil, away with me, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. He replaces the word fear with worship because that's really what the fear of the Lord is. It's the worship of God, the awe of God in the midst of something that says, God, I want your wisdom in my life. And Jesus kind of just freshens it for us. And he says, 
in the middle of the temptation, when the middle of that attack of the enemy against your life, he says, worship the Lord and him only shall you serve. And so the final thing is receive. It's an act of faith. When you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. But the converse, if you keep your eye fixed on Jesus, and let me just say, none of us do that perfectly. We have our moments of introspection, of self-pity, of moaning, but it's, no, I need to keep my eye back on Jesus. Perhaps James is thinking of the story of Peter walking on the water. The moment he took his eyes off Jesus in the middle of the storm, he started to sink. But even then Jesus reached out and rescued him. So this is not sort of some kind of perfection. I never doubted for a moment. But he says, if you expect to receive something on, from the Lord, keep your eye on him. Keep coming back to him. Keep coming with that attitude of a worshipper. Because doubt fixes our attention on our circumstances. Faith binds our expectation to the future, what God has for us. Doubt fixes our eyes on our circumstances. Faith binds us with expectation to the future that God has for us. So like the wise men as we come into this Advent season, let's go the journey with God. Let's make sure endurance, perseverance is something we choose, but it's perseverance, not just in human effort, but perseverance with my eye fixed on Jesus. Perseverance with my eye fixed on Jesus. So that perseverance becomes an act of worship. And when we worship, God inhabits, God presences Himself and changes us. In the words of Job, he knows the way that I take. And when he has tried me, I will come forth as pure gold. The greatest thing you can ever do is just to receive Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. That's the starting point. You were created by God for God and sin separates us from God. We get willful, we go our own way, we choose to cut God out of our lives. But God is always working. He's looking for us more than we ever look for Him. And you might be in that place where right now that's been going on in your life. God drawing you, God creating, God, even through the people who invited you to come or the reason you got here, God's working in your life. He's drawing you and He's looking for a response, an act of faith that says, I receive you, Jesus. You are Emmanuel, God with us. We celebrate in the, the fact that God stepped into time and history, our time and history, in order to become our Saviour. Not just born in a major, but died on a cross and was raised again to be a living Saviour.